Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. We're watching history being made in this post-election, pre-inaugural period. Most of the focus has been on Donald Trump rewriting the rules for a president-elect. But Christopher Caldwell, senior writer here at the Weekly Standard, has noted that President Obama has been making some history of his own. Chris, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. Well, it's great to be here. You gave me an interesting starting point. I've been trying to puzzle in my own mind how unusual has the Obama final days of presidency been, and you compared him to George W. Bush. Right. You know, know, in general, I think that Obama has been really uh, quite civil. I, I mean, I, I'm struck by by the way he's accorded a, a good deal of legitimacy to the Trump result, m- much more than certain of, of Obama's followers have, you know. But this is a, it's a striking thing what he's done with Israel in the last week because his 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 refusal to veto the um, the UN uh, right. resolution on the settlements. It, it's striking because that's the contrast to Bush. The first thing he did was he said that in a time of financial crisis, he should not be the person to make the final decision about the scale of the Detroit bailout. The auto industry was uh, on the verge of, uh, of collapse. Bush funded a, you could call it a token bailout. It was enough to carry it over into the new administration. But I believe what he said was that this was a decision of such scope that it really belonged to the person who would carry the mandate of the, of the, of the public forward. And at that point, Bush really disappeared from American political life and has not reappeared on the scene since. I want to go back to that decision. And actually, there were a series of decisions related to, you know, what what is should be the long term policy response to this economic collapse. And George W. Bush said something explicitly: "Not my job. We just had an election. We've got a president coming in in two months. I'm not going to set a path that he may or may not agree with, and then have to deal with it afterwards." Isn't that 180 degrees from where Barack Obama's been? And I want to run an argument by you: When you're elected president, you're president. Every day until January 20th. Why are you people trying to shorten Obama's presidency? And I've had people make that argument to me. Chris Caldwell, are they right? This is a very difficult interregnum. Most Western countries do not have this problem. If you lose a vote of no confidence in the uh, parliament, you get mm-hmm. replaced and, 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 and you're gone right. uh, the next day. We have, you know, a president who has carries the mandate of the future forward and another one who's serving out his time. Ideally, they will cooperate. But I have to say that, that, that the issue of Israel has always seemed like something in a weird way that's close to Barack Obama's heart. I, I think that he has always wanted to do something a little bit different like this, or one has always suspected him of wanting to break the mold um, on American-Israel policy. And, uh, you know, we've tended to cast it in terms of a personal antipathy towards Benjamin Netanyahu, but that might be oversimplifying a little bit. I think of Israel as one of those issues that's meta-presidential, if you will, that, you know, whether it's Truman, Eisenhower, whoever, that there is this kind of baseline of American foreign policy beyond the reach of any individual president to a great degree. And I think, not having the depth of knowledge you do, that President Obama just ended that tradition, that he broke a, a narrative and is trying to rewrite that story. And what offends me isn't, every story can be rewritten, that he and John Kerry are doing it literally on their way out the door, which to me is a lot more about symbolism than it is about policy substance. That's interesting. You know, I think you're right that there are certain things that there has tended to be a consensus on between presidents. 
you know, sometimes an outgoing president can take the fall for an ingoing president. I think that Jimmy Carter did a bit of that with the Iran hostage negotiations and the Iran hostages were were released on the just as Ronald Reagan was being sworn in. And so you have to wonder is, you know, like, is Obama speaking for someone in the foreign policy community when when he says this. But the response of Trump indicates to me that he is sort of freelancing this one, that he's on his own on this one. So I don't, you know, I don't really know what his his motivation yeah, is. Because it is strange. It would be one thing to say, I see where America's headed and I'm going to give us a nudge and take a political hit. But he's going, he knows that this is not where America's headed. Right. <laughs> he knows that yeah. not only is the Trump administration going to go in a different direction, but many Democrats don't support where he's going. Polling shows the American people don't support Obama's attitude towards Israel. It's just strange. Can, can you think of any historic corollaries of a president? The best yeah. I can think of is throwing a monkey wrench into the works on his way out the door, knowing that all he can do is hurt things. It can't help. Well, I don't know. You have to say that Obama has done some pretty extraordinary things in his <laughs> no, in his political career, some of which have looked totally crazy, but have turned out to be big winners in his party. And I'll give you one example would have been in 2012, by, by pushing birth control into Obamacare, uh, something he didn't have to do, and something that seemed to risk alienating all those Catholic swing voters in the in the um, Middle West who have large families, uh, in order to pick up a few votes from single women whom he had anyway. Why did he do that? And yet, if you look at the 2012 elections, it seems to have been a pretty wise judgment of how to turn out his party. Now, the left parties around the world tend to be kind of anti-Israel. At least that's the way they are in Europe. Maybe Obama sees something about his party's rank and file, which is just not obvious from the day-to-day newspapers. That's an interesting aspect. I had not thought about that. Give us one t- more tidbit before I let you go. I know you've just written a piece for the upcoming issue about the Obama legacy. One yeah. l- tidbit about the Obama legacy that you find significant. I think that the key theme running through it is that so much of Obama's program was passed without legislation. That is, it was passed either through um, uh, executive orders uh, or through rule writing or through court decisions, that it's really it will, will really slip out of his control very quickly. It doesn't have a, a, a self-perpetuating quality the way other presidents' um, legacies have. So I think that a lot of things that looked very grand about the Obama presidency about two years ago may look kind of ephemeral in uh, two years from now. And I go back to George W. Bush for the example, the controversial Bush tax cuts which were largely kept in place 10 years later by a Democrat-dominated Congress and a Democrat president. Christopher Caldwell, senior writer of the Weekly Standard, thanks so much for your time. Thank you.